The Outlet. The Talk of Southland. Welcome to The Outlet. This podcast is all about local news, sport, interviews and event information for Southland. In this podcast I talk to Hamish McMurdo, the General Manager of Recycle South, on their initiatives to recycle farm plastics. And I catch up with Paddy O'Brien, former policeman, international rugby referee and president of the Invercargill Licensing Trust on his career and the rugby and community work he's involved in now. But first, local news from the Southland app. The Outlet, local news. Here's some of the stories this week you can read more about on your Southland app. Free drop-in nitrate water testing is again being offered to locals in Lumsden and Gore by the global environmental campaigning group Greenpeace. Greenpeace's Christine Rose said the purpose of the free water testing was to provide essential information to rural people at risk of nitrate contamination. Nominations are now open for the 2022-2023 ILT Southland Sports Awards. The nomination period runs until April 26th. New Zealand's longest-running regional sports awards are celebrated on the 9th of June. And an archaeological feature discovered while digging in new stormwater mains has forced workers to halt operations. The Invercargill City Council contractors have been working to replace the ageing and undersized stormwater network along D Street for the past few weeks. You can read these stories and more in full on your Southland app. Local news, sport, interviews and information. The Outlet. The steam train running day is at Waimea Plains Railway this Saturday the 15th of April between 10 and 3pm. An adult all-day pass is $5 and a child all-day pass $2.50. Hamish McMurdo is the General Manager of Recycle South. I caught up with Hamish on their initiatives to recycle farm plastics. Hamish, we know there's a lot of plastic used on farms, and at Recycle South, you've set up a new initiative. Tell us all about it. What we did is we investigated how farm plastics were were processed within this country and overseas, and we found that for those people that actually managed to bring farm plastics in, it was just being exported what I call raw, which is dirty, overseas for another country to further process so we had the idea to or I had the idea to further process it onshore which then we would make pure plastic resin out of the the plastics and we'd export that to countries who who had the infrastructure to make it back into wrap again rather than it going to a hole in the ground or being burnt as it as the case may be so we've set up a plant at our Makariwa site just outside of Invercargill and we're open for accepting farm plastics such as bale wrap and silage covers that have been cut into three metre strips and we also have a site in Omaru at Waitaki Resource Recovery Park in Omaru that also take it on our behalf. Has a lot of plastic gone to landfill from farms do you think up until now? Not so much landfill, more burying on farm or burning on farm which of course isn't really the way we want to to deal with it and and in actual fact for our, a charity such as ours that that we work for our, our 82 odd intellectually disabled people there's a value in it for them so if, if farmers could support us we in turn will be supporting them so we just feel that's a, a, a better solution. We're heading into the winter season so is it important to start getting things sorted out now? Yeah absolutely so we'd really appreciate if people could when they take the wrap off they they check it 
to make sure that there's no netting on the inside, so that's the old elastic netting, we can't process that, that's a waste item, although these days there, there's actually a glad wrap layer being used, so that's, that's okay. We'd really love them to colour sort if possible, so if you're using multiple colour bar wrap plastic on your farm, we'd appreciate the colours being separated. You don't have to do anything other than put it in a bag or keep it loose, but we'd prefer if you could get it out of the mud as quick as you can. Now we do understand there is some mud involved and, and we can cope with it, but we also don't want it being trampled around in mud if we can help it. So once it's all recycled, Hamish, what do you do with it? So it turns into um, plastic pellets, which is just pure resin. I've already sent samples overseas of our, the resin that we've made. Initially, when I thought we'd begin this, it would end up in things like drainage pipes or alkathene end-of-life items such as that. But it turns out the quality we've been able to produce is good enough that it can be put back into wrap again and therefore we're getting a more circular use out of it over time. We're, we're very proud of that and we think it's a really good outcome for bale wrap in, in New Zealand. Oh that is great for sustainability isn't it? What a great outcome that is. Yeah so the other plastics that we can do is obviously the silage covers cut up into three metre strips. We can do your agrochemical containers that have been triple rinsed and that also includes your big boat blow day drums, the 200 litre drums. There is a charge, uh, 15 cents a kilo, which goes towards, it's quite expensive to process, so we, we'd appreciate that. We're accredited to Fonterra, so therefore your recycling goes towards your trusted goodness program that you have in Fonterra. So we'll need some extra details from you, like your Fonterra number, and that's just for verification purposes when they check your, your on-farm recycling and whatever else you do within that program that Fonterra run. So you certainly get benefit out of, out of that. We can take it in many ways. We can take it either in um, bulker bags, badges or just loose on a truck that can be tipped in. Hey well Hamish thank you so much again for all the great work you're doing there looking after our world and, and looking after Southland. Thanks for having us and just a reminder to everyone so it's the old Macarewa freezing works for for those dropping it off in Southland and or getting it delivered Scully's Transport run a when a service that they'll they'll pick it up and bring it into us if you want to use them so does Northern Southland Transport outside of this region You've got Waitaki Resource Recovery Park in Omaru, which will take take it on our behalf and get it down to us. You're listening to The Outlet. I really like the interviews. I like that it's easy to listen to while I'm at the gym. I like that it's local and all about this community. The Outlet, the talk of Southland. There's a free kids video gaming event in Bluff on Monday the 17th of April and Tuesday the 18th of April between 1 and 3 p.m. The events will take place at the St John's Ambulance Hall, 12 Lee Street Bluff, with the fastest internet in the land thanks to Velocity Net. All the details are on the Events Attraction button on your Southland app. Paddy O'Brien is a former policeman, the world's first professional rugby referee, and president of the Invercargill Licensing Trust. We chat on his career, rugby, and the community work he's involved in now. Now, can you please talk me through your early career in the police, your rugby playing days in Southland, and moving from that to be the world's first professional referee? Yeah, well, I left school at 17. I uh, went and worked as a clerk in a hide factory here in, in Bicargill and just decided that I, I can't do this for my life, what I'm going to do. And, and in those days, you could join the police if you uh, basically had a good reputation or your family did. And so I put my name down, got interviewed, Got accepted at the age of 18 to go as a, as a cadet. Decided that I'd prefer to wait to 19. 
So I went to the good old age of 19, joined the New Zealand Police in August the 28th, 1978, uh, at which stage I went up there for four weeks, caught glandular fever and got sent home again. I was in wing number 78 and then wing number 79 because I, once I recovered from glandular fever, I worked for police in the cargo, but I wasn't allowed to have no powers of arrest. So I was basically an observer for, for two or three months and then rejoined wing number 79 in following January. It went as a recruit, come back to the cargo as a constable. I had 17 wonderful years in the police. I, I love the police. It was a great job. Um, and I always have the utmost respect for what they do nowadays. But after 17 years, I sort of I, I ended up being a detective and shifted to Omaru for three years in that role, and then back to Invercargill as a detective, and just found that, I suppose, I'd outrun its course. I'd, I'd achieved what I wanted to achieve. I found the police were changing, probably along the, not really the way I wanted it to change. That's just me being a patient person. So I left, and, and left with on good terms. Like I, as I say, I love the police most of a huge amount of respect for what they do. We went into sports administration for one year, and at that stage I was um, refereeing rugby because I'd, I'd gone to America with the police for athletics. Uh, they had what they called the Police Olympics, and I was handy enough high jumper, I suppose, and went over there. Couldn't afford to get injured playing, so I joined refereeing, and, and when I left in, in 95, the police rugby went professional in 1996, and I just happened to be in the right place, right time, and myself and, I, and another ex well, he's a traffic officer, Pete, that Colin Hawke, we were the first two professional referees. Before that, I played, uh, when I was in the police, I played senior club rugby for Marist. I was a rugby junkie, and I was one of those wingers that wouldn't tackle but score tries. So I had three or four years of, of great memories playing senior footy for Marist. Culminated in us winning the Galbraith Shield in 1979, which will always be a highlight of my playing days. Uh, I reached the giddy heights of Southland B. Uh, we had a famous win over Canterbury B in 1979. It was in 1980. The day that Southland A and Southland B both won the games at Lancaster Park. And we've had a team that hit Steve Henson and several other well known players in it and, and kicked their ass basically. So it was a great day. Flew home that day. And, and yeah, it's one of the memories I'll always have from rugby with those two probably winning the Galbraith Shield and, and then playing for Southland B in a wonderful win at Lancaster Park. So yeah, so that was that was me. So they went to refereeing in 1996 when the game went professional and it was really a turning point for me as a person in, 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 my, yeah, in my life. Do you think sort of being in the police helped with your influence your referee style? Yeah, very much so. I mean, the police is about common sense and communication. When you're dealing with conflict all the time. I think what, what it does, it shows you when you're, when you're refereeing rugby, it's not life or death. When in the police, it can be. A huge amount of decision-making had to be made when you're in the police. I was very young when I joined at 19 and you know, I had to learn very quickly because you I well, just might think you're mature, you're pretty immature at the age of 19, and I learned a hell of a lot in those first few years in the police, and about me as a person as well. And that you take all those skills into, into um, refereeing. I think, yeah, I think managing conflict is probably the one which, and dealing with people, just mm. how to deal with people. And I've always said the best referees are the ones that know when not to blow their whistle, rather than the ones that know when to. And it's learning that balance of what can I let go, what, what do I have to, no different when you're on the street with a, as a police officer, mm. what can I, what is the tolerance level? When can I use my discretion? And it's the same in refereeing. Yeah, that's the, the key to it. You've probably been asked this a thousand times. What's the most memorable game you've refereed and what stood out for you? Um, it's really interesting. The answer I always give to this is actually the worst game of rugby I've ever refereed. Um, <laughs> I had, to give you a bit of history, I eventually made it to the top level of refereeing. I got it selected for the World Cup in 99 and refereed uh, the opening game, which was a huge thrill to, to you know, mm. pack stadium at the new... Wales Millennium Stadium, I refereed Argentina Wales and went really well. And sort of the word was out that I may be in line for you know higher honours as the tournament went on. And 
I got away ahead of myself and refereed the France PG game in 99 and had an absolute shocker. I mean, it started with a mistake and then it just accumulated from there and it all turned to custard. And I look back and, and you know, four years later, I refereed the World Cup semi-final. Um, in between that, I refereed the third and final test between the Lions and Australia, which is probably the biggest game I've ever done because it was tied at one all. And I refereed that game and it was on a knife edge the whole way. If I hadn't had my poor game in 99, I wouldn't have survived those two. So I, I use it as probably a bit of an analogy in life. But, um, you got to go through the bad to get to the good. And I, people say, what was your favourite game? I just look, because people have you on and say, oh, I remember that game you had. And I just laugh about it because it was the makings of me as a ref. And mm. so whilst it was, wasn't great at the time, it was bloody hard work. Coming out the other end of it and being able to referee at the highest level after that was probably my biggest yeah, thrill, I suppose, in refereeing. Referees cop a lot of criticism, and there's just terrible vitriol these days. I mean, what do you think about when you see all that? Yeah, it saddens me, really. I I, I mean, the game can get what it deserves shortly um, because people won't referee. But when we refereed, we had talkback radio. That's about the only medium people mm. had it, or your blog would be written about you. And you could easily ignore that or not listen to it, etc. Now it's very personal. It's a lot more for social media. And I, when my young fellow was growing up, I'd go and watch him play rugby, you know, under 10, under 12. And some of the parents are disgraceful. It really is. Every kid, everyone's parents, or sorry, every kid's parents think their son's an all black or their grandson's an all black, and they're not. And, you know, you can have a young kid say, look, we might be a schoolboy, say, I'll refer the game for the under 10s today. He's getting abused on the sideline. It's just nonsense. And I, yeah, it saddens me. And I, but it starts at the top, of course, if it's, if if people at the top are um, open slather when it comes to you watch a super rugby game or a test match and then they get hugely criticised, then the parents of the young kids think it's okay to do that and it's not. No. So I am, um, you know, I, I, I just challenge people to go and try it themselves one day and I'll just see how difficult a task refereeing is. So I, yeah, it, 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 it's a reflection on society really and it's one which, which as I say, saddens me. Yeah, there's those definite keyboard warriors there that would never say that to your face, would they? Yeah, well, I've always commented, and people say when I was referring to you, you get a hard time, and I, I actually cannot remember once in my career, and I know some people used to write blogs and have a crack at me and all that, and that's fine, but never once did anyone personally come up to me and have a go, and look at your funnel, but they've never ever had balls to come and say, you know, when you talk to you, you're a referee or whatever, that just didn't happen, and that, again, shows you where people's character is, and yeah, disappointing. So what is your involvement in rugby these days, Paddy? So, yeah, when I finished refereeing, and um, I finished in 2005, you know, I really enjoyed my career, and I got the opportunity to be the referee manager with the IRB, as it was called then, which is now World Rugby. So I went and did eight years, I started off in Dublin and then moved back home, but did eight years as the 15th referee manager mm. for all the high-performance refs. And then in 2012, after doing eight years of it, the opportunity came up to get into sevens because rugby went into the Olympics. So. I took that opportunity, a bit less stress than doing the 15s job, and I sort of had stressful jobs in my life. So I went into um, the 7s role in 2012, and I'm still doing that now. So basically, I manage a team of I have a referee coach, uh, an analyst, a strength and conditioning coach, a physio, and performance reviewers, and myself as manager. We travel around with looking after the referees on the 7s circuit, and that involves uh, 10 tournaments a year. We're all in twos, so we go away for a couple of weeks and count them home for three. It starts with um, Dubai, Cape Town. Then we move on to Hamilton and Sydney, Hong Kong, Singapore, Vancouver, LA, and then we finish with Toulouse and London, which is in a month's time. Uh, then every four years in that four-year cycle, we have um, Commonwealth Games, Rugby World Cup Sevens, and then the Holy Grail, the Olympic Games, which, we, which this time we did Rio, which was fantastic in 2016. 
Now, we missed a year at 220 with Japan because of COVID, but it had those Olympics with the non-crowd in 221. And, of course, we've got Paris in 224, which I'm really looking forward to. So it's a, it's a huge honour to be in charge of the refs. And, they're, you know, they're all young, up-and-coming referees. I just absolutely love the role. So that's what I'm doing now and hope to continue that, probably go through the LA Olympics in 228. So, you know, it's a pretty good lifestyle, to be fair. And you do a lot of speaking as well. So what are some of the messages that you put through when you talk about your time in the police force and, and being a referee? Yeah, I, um, I enjoy public speaking. I haven't done as much lately because I, I always think it's better to be current. But I, I think the key is, one, enjoy what you're doing. I try and, I suppose, preach converters that if you don't enjoy something, get out. Uh, you must enjoy what you're doing. And, and living your passion, I think the key with us with the Sevens, we're very value-based. So I've been a huge believer, even though society changes, values don't. And we base our whole referee team around having strong values. And at the start of all four-year cycle for the Olympics, they referees sit down and write their own values, and be just five of them. And we live by them the whole way. And we and we anything happens with it, we, you know, we're a big family on tour all the time. Uh, we're just value-based. So if someone doesn't do something right, instead of boiling them out, we just say, well, where does that fit into our values? And I just think that applies to everything in life. And we, I do, we were speaking now with um, corporates on the the beauty of values or how we should live them and how they haven't changed since my mum and dad were alive and their parents were alive. And it's, it works. It's just as simple as that. So I, I do a lot of speaking on that. I try and keep it humorous. Um, talk about some of the funny things that happened in your referring days and yeah, just a, a, it's an overall 30, 40 minute package of a bit of fun. You also work with the Invercargill Licensing Trust and that does a lot of work in the community as well. Yeah, I'm loving that. I am um, about six years ago, I put my name forward for the ILT and was, luckily it was elected. So I've done two terms, my third term and I'm, I'm currently the president or chairman of the ILT. It's a huge honour and it's also a huge privilege to be involved with um, a quite unique aspect for the community of Invercargill. We just built the, the new uh, Langlands Hotel, which is going to be a great asset for the city. But it's what we also, you know, it's, it's one of our, well, our, our slogan is uh, for our community. And it is community money, and we have to take a big responsibility where we spend that community money. But you only have to look around to see some of the assets, like the enriched school for the, for the you know, gifted children. You've got the ILT um, Stadium, which is a huge asset for Invercargill. And then all the sports clubs and the cultural clubs and the service groups, which um, benefit from us having, you know, the privilege of owning all the hotels and licenses in the capital. And you're also supporting a new initiative in aged care for the Hawthorndale Care Village. So that's based on a Dutch care village, isn't it? Yeah, it's based on the Hogwarty um, Dementia Care. We're very lucky to have a manager at Calvary Hospital, Margaret Brown, who had the foresight. We, I was on the board there. My, both my parents were in the Calvary Rest Home when they were alive. And, I was on the board and, and instead of spending some money to upgrade that, Margaret came up with the idea that we should look at this model those trying to make normal of life for people with dementia and elderly care. So I was lucky enough about six years ago to go with Margaret when I was overseas with rugby to pop in and see the Dogway model. And to explain it to you really, it is people living in homes rather than in, in hospitals. It's them living a normal life. It's seven people in a house, having their own bedroom, having a shared lounge, having a shared kitchen. And instead of, you know, having you or I both being in there and, and you being a night person, me a morning person or vice versa, you go to bed when you want to, I go to bed when I want to, you have bricks when you want to, I do when I want to. You do all the laundry in there, we have a caregiver, and, and when we get outside, uh, we're in a village, um, so it's like a shopping centre, we can go to the hairdresser, we can have coffee with their family. So we're not locked up as though it's sort of there for till you die. You are there to actually live. It's really proven, and I suppose the best way the stats have shown on the Holland, on the Holland model which we're following is that people are less medicated in these facilities. They get to live longer, and when they do die, they die quicker, if that makes sense. They go downhill quicker. So 
and all the stats are pointing it's going to be the future of aged care and dementia care in New Zealand and we're you know one of the leaders in doing it so it's a really exciting project it's underway and we're absolutely wrapped and hopefully well not hopefully but it will open in, in a couple of years time mid, mid-year in 2025 I think it is year 2025 so it's been a huge project 35 million dollars at this stage that we've got for the project we'll probably go for another couple of million just to make sure we get the fit out and the landscaping and and it goes, it's not for profit, so there's no one that's not means tested or anything. It's going to be a huge asset for Invercargill and for Southland, I should say, rather than Invercargill. And we'll lead the way if we're, we're going to go with dementia care. Yeah, that's really exciting. Oh, well, Paddy, like, thank you so much for chatting to me today. It's been really wonderful. And, and thanks for everything that you're doing in the community and, and for rugby. It's just fantastic. Well, real pleasure, Brent. And I, um, yeah, thanks for meeting you. And um, yeah, just love what I do. So enjoy life. The Outlet, from your Southland app. Thanks for listening to The Outlet. The Outlet is produced and published by the Southland app and supported with funding from the New Zealand Public Interest Journalism Fund. The Outlet is available on the Outlet button of your Southland app and wherever you get your podcasts.